sword and laid his pistol on the table. He grabbed a side chair and kicked it over to the marquee. It hit a groove in the floor and tumbled noisily on its side. Sit down, he barked. I suspect this is going to take a while. His eyes fixed on De Sangro, Montferrat righted the chair and hesitantly sat down. What do you want? Disangro reached into the hearth and ignited a taper, which he used to light an oil lantern. He set it on the table and retrieved his gun, then waved his men out dismissively with it. They nodded and left the room, closing the door behind them. Disangro pulled over another chair and sat astride it, face to face with his prey. You know very well what I want, Montferrat he replied, aiming the double-barrel flintlock pistol at him menacingly as he studied him, before adding, acidly, "'And you can start with your real name.' "'My real name?' "'Let's not play games, Marchese,' he slurred the last word mockingly, his face brimming with condescension. "'I had your letters checked. They're forged.' In fact, nothing in the vague snippets you've let slip about your past since the moment you got here seems to have any truth. Montferrat knew that his accuser had all the resources necessary to make such inquiries. Raimondo di Sangro had inherited the title of Principe di San Severo, Prince of San Severo, at the tender age of sixteen, after the deaths of his two brothers. He counted the young Spanish king of Naples and Sicily, Charles the Seventh, among his friends and admirers. How could I have so misread this man, Montferrat thought with burgeoning horror. How could I have so misread this place? After years of torment and self-doubt, he had finally abandoned his quest in the Orient and returned to Europe less than a year earlier, making his way to Naples by way of Constantinople and Venice. He hadn't intended to stay in the city. His plan had been to continue onward to Messina and from there to sail on to Spain and possibly back home to Portugal. He paused at the thought. Home. A word meant for others, not for him. An empty, hollow word, bone-picked clean of any resonance by the passage of time. Naples had given pause to his thoughts of surrender. Under the Spanish viceroys, it had grown to become the second city of Europe after Paris. It was also part of a new Europe he was discovering, a different Europe than the one he had left behind. It was a land where the ideas of the Enlightenment were steering people to a new future, ideas embraced and nurtured in Naples by Charles VII, who had championed discourse, learning, and cultural debate. The king had set up a national library as well as an archaeological museum to house the relics unearthed from the recently discovered buried towns of Herculaneum and Pompeii. A further allure was that the king was hostile to the Inquisition, the bane of Montferrat's previous life. Wary of the Jesuits' influence, the king had trod carefully in suppressing them, which he had managed to do without raising the ire of the Pope. And so he had reverted to the name he'd used in Venice many years earlier, the Marquis of Montferrat. 
He'd found it easy to lose himself in the bustling city and its visitors. Several countries had founded academies in Naples to house the steady stream of travelers who came to study the newly excavated Roman towns. Soon he was meeting scholars, both locals and visitors from across Europe, like-minded men with inquisitive minds, men like Raimondo di Sangro. Inquisitive mind, indeed. All these lies, Di Sangro continued, gauging his pistol, eyeing Monferrat with a glint of unbridled greed in his eye. And yet, intriguing and rather odd. Since that dear old lady, the Contessa di Cerghi, claims she knew you by the very same name in Venice, Monferrat. How many years ago was it now? Thirty? More? The name spiked through the false marquee like a blue.